For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hello, and welcome to This Week Explained. I am Tiana. And I'm Kervin. And today we will be covering the big geopolitical stories of the week. But first, I just felt the need to mention that we got our first hater in the comment section of a UK article. So we finally made it. We made it. Yeah, we did it. (laughs) I mean, I think it's important to point out that his complaint was mainly the fact that you didn't have a high rank in the army. So he felt like you didn't deserve a platform, but he obviously doesn't know very much about what you do outside the fact that you were in the army for 15 years. And that's a, that just barely covers what you've done, but okay, I mean, we got it. We're not for everybody. It's fine. 15 years is entry level. These uh, data. Yeah, it is. But you've gotten, you've gotten a lot of expertise elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. I love You've had a lot of hands-on training in other departments, other places, doing other things. With Anyways, I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. I guess we just need to get right into it. Anyways, thank you for finally talking trash about us. We've been wondering yep. when this day would come. <laughs> <laughs> Super As always, pumped. just email us. If you yeah. if you got an issue, we got no problems talking with it's, everybody it, well, listening. Well, it's not... It's not an issue, per se. He just didn't think you had the credentials in order to be speaking on that sort of thing. Which, you know, hey, maybe you don't. But they Maybe I don't. <laughs> but, they, but they reached out to you. You didn't seek them out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, sorry, friend. Anyways. You ready to you. get in? Yes, let's get right into it. I'm cheersing you what through you- the camera. What are you drinking? I don't know what it's called, but I know you said it's a Snoop Dogg wine. Yeah, it's 19 Crimes Cali Red Snoop Dogg. Now, we do have a lot to get into, so let's just get to it. What is on your radar this week? So we've got the, well, as you're listening to this, if you're listening to it on the day this comes out, it's the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We're going to get into what has changed in geopolitics and globally. Also, Biden went to Kiev in Ukraine during a war. The, I think it was the first president to go out to a war zone that didn't involve the United States. So that was a pretty big momentous point. We'll get to Putin mentioning that they were not going to or they were going to cancel the START treaty with the United States. We'll talk about Russia's Belarus takeover, which was a, a big thing that happened this week. Also, Moldova is getting inching closer to being taken over by Russia without even a military invasion. I do have an update on Sweden and Finland's entry into NATO. We have some good news there. Then we'll talk about China. They have started to discuss sending weapons to Russia. That's a pretty big deal. And then France has officially left Burkina Faso. They took the flag down and the military has left. We'll get into the implications of that. Oh, wow, that's wild. Well, let's let's just say it. What's what's happening? What's the big news coming out of the war in Ukraine? 
So like I said, we reached the one-year anniversary of the war in Ukraine. Um, in the lead-up to the anniversary date, the world got a glimpse inside Putin's mind because he did speak to Russia's parliament this week. He was kind of just trying to stir up a sense of identity and patriotism in an effort to prepare the people for what we have talked about, a prolonged war with, with Ukraine and also with the West. He framed the conflict actually as an existential crisis or an existential threat against Russia. He presented the West as, you know, well, he presented all the information as a Western imperialism versus Russian culture and values. So he's trying to paint himself as the defender of not, you know, just Russia, but also the defender of non, the, all the non-Western global population. Then I assume there was no talk of possible peace deals being in the works. Not in the near future. He didn't say anything about that. Um, because he did make it clear that he is preparing to maintain the current conflict with Ukraine, and he's also calling this a conflict with the West that he is prepared to maintain for an extended period of time. He also publicly rejected current Western sanctions. He encouraged the people of Russia to remain in Russia and to remain citizens of Russia, wanting them to open new businesses and change the lives in their cities. Now, these comments actually came, it was directed squarely at U.S. President Biden's own speech, where you know, President Biden actually promised to support Ukraine until the end of this war. Well, that gets us to the next topic, which is Biden's surprise visit to Kiev. Can you offer any insight into that trip, why it was approved, and what its intended purpose was? Yeah, definitely. I'll say that while these trips come as a surprise to us and to the media, the planning of this, I think, and I don't know all the inner workings, and it was probably just like weeks of planning, but it could have been months in the making between a very select group of people. I do consider it a show of force to Putin that the United States is not going to back down from sending Ukraine military equipment. He also agreed to $500 million more of military equipment to Ukraine during the speech. So the the entire trip was most likely planned, and this was near the, the war's one-year anniversary, to counter some elected U.S. officials' calls to end that aid to Ukraine altogether. And Putin does notice those calls for aid to end to Ukraine, right? He could use that as a way to drum up dissent within the U.S., couldn't he? Yeah, Putin is definitely seeing those calls. Um, you know, they're, they're getting loud now, calls for an end to aid, and he's going to continue to promote that to his people that some U some officials in the U.S. actually don't support Ukraine. That's how he's going to frame it. It's going to help. The, the messaging is going to help maintain public support for his what he calls still the special military operation. But like you said, Russian agents within the U.S. are going to use these statements by elected officials to try and cause a rift among the American population. What can people do to, aden to identify these attempts at dissent? Well, they can... Keep listening to this podcast. We're going to continue to highlight those things. Yeah. Also, don't take anything at face value, even when you're listening to us talk. I do understand not everybody has the time or ability to do a deep dive into all the information that's being presented. But if you just do a quick scan of the person providing the information, that can actually help a lot. So you can kind of see where their biases come out, especially on social media. Uh, you know, maybe they're always promoting a pro-Russian narrative, or maybe they're always promoting a pro-Western narrative. You can find you can find that out about them, and then go find alternatives to that narrative and kind of piece together the commonalities to find the facts. 
All right. Well, thank you for that advice. Does that usually take minutes or hours of research, though? And Some of us are busy, okay? Yeah, and I get that. And, and in this day and age, it takes seconds. Okay. We, Everybody, everyone listening, Tiana, you know this, there's no shortage of opinions in this world. And <laughs> everyone wants to broadcast those opinions on social media. Yeah. So finding it is easy. I would say identifying the facts through different narratives, that takes time. Yeah. And it's just taking time to train yourself to do that. So the more a person works at it, the, the quicker it is to identify. Well, let's transition to Putin's statement on the START Treaty. What's going on there? So, you know, he announced that Russia is going to spend, suspend its participation in the new START Treaty. So that's the nuclear treaty between the U.S. and Russia. Russia's foreign minister actually came out to, right after that, and he said that while Russia is going to suspend participation in the treaty, it's still going to abide by the rules of the treaty. Do you believe them? No, not at all. Not even for a second. I mean, nothing <laughs> Russia has done in the last year makes me want to believe their public statements. Okay, so what are the pitfalls of Russia not participating in the START Treaty? You know, like we called it. Right. So if you go back, <laughs> like we said, you know, well, we posted on Instagram and, and stuff like that. So three yeah. weeks ago, we had already talked about noticing that Russia was going to try to do this. So... Yeah. If the treaty were to end, it's going to have major consequences on a global scale. First, it could lead to a revived arms race between countries that already possess nuclear capabilities, not just uh -huh. the U.S. And then without any inspections or limitations, country, those countries may look to increase the size and scope of their nuclear arsenals in order to gain, I would say, more political leverage over their adversaries. So not not to really use these weapons, but as political leverage. Of course. One of the countries I'm looking at, North Korea, is I'm focused on that because they do have a desire to increase and improve their arsenal. What um, about Iran? Definitely Iran as well. They are, yeah. they are on that same. I I put them on the crazy scale. North Korea is a little bit above Iran on the on the crazy well, scale. Well, of course, of course. Hey, yeah. you shouldn't you shouldn't you should say, say crazy different. scale. That's not. You need to. Re you need to change the name of your of the the oh wild God. card scale. The wild card. There you go. Wild card scale is much much more palatable. Now, than calling of, somebody crazy. <laughs> I mean, very hey. few people in this world are crazy. Kim Jong Un is one of them. <laughs> would you shut up? <laughs> we have an audience now. I well. would like to live. To, well, I'm not going to say how old I'm turning this year. Never mind. <laughs> well, I, I did want to say that one of the big things is all of this going on is going to make it especially difficult for countries like ours, like the United States, who does try to follow these treaties. Uh -huh. It's going to make it very hard for them to monitor those threats that are created by these foreign entities who have but, ill intentions. But hold on. Are we actually trying to follow the treaties? Or are we too pretending while trying to figure out new weapons? You know what I mean? I feel like this treaty was more to control other countries. I Is can that... say that as far as I have seen in, in, in my career... Yeah, we have abided by nuclear treaties. Nuclear. We do abide. We do abide by them. Okay. Nucle I seriously, it was just a serious question. I didn't know. 
Because yeah, I, I mean, feel like we don't abide by the Geneva Convention. Sometimes we don't <laughs> abide by interrogation, proper interrogation techniques. Sometimes within the United <laughs> yeah. States, but I will say after the bombs dropped on Hiroshima and uh-huh. you know that sort of just the the sheer impact of that. I think has put in the mind, at least in the West and within the yeah. United States, because we were the ones that dropped them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and that's not lost on anybody. I don't think I would hope that's not lost on anybody. Yeah. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants—they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, does this increase the possibility of nuclear war? First of all, I wanted to thank you for clarifying that because, I mean... I know some people had similar questions to mine, which Definitely. are, are we actually abiding <laughs> by these treaties or are we just trying to make everybody else do it? We're trying to make and, everybody else toe the line, but we can do what we want. <laughs> and like I said, you know, we'll we'll call yeah. it out. Sometimes we yeah. just do what we want for the good of or the what world, we, we say. think is <laughs> the good. Yeah, we can't say it's for the good of the world as a whole. It's the good for our country, which is the there. way most countries operate. <laughs> or we believe it's good for the country. Yeah. Okay. That that's a rabbit hole for another time. Yep. We'll do that Anyways, another time. I'll, let me ask you again. Does this increase the possibility of nuclear war? So I'll say with with Russia, it does not. Uh, I'm right. still not. It, definitely, they're not going to send nuclear weapons to the United States. That I don't see right now. But you know, the wild card scale that I renamed. Yeah, you've got North Korea and Iran. So Iran, by the way, just enriched uranium past eighty four percent, which is a huge breakthrough for them in getting a nuclear weapon. Though either one of those countries can make a decision to fire off a nuclear equipped weapon just as a show of force, which is going to cause an enormous amount of conflict globally. So what does uranium have to be enriched? What percent does it have to be enriched to in order to make a nuclear weapon? Uh, I I think it's just over 80% to to begin to test the weapon. Okay, I see. Well, were you going to say something? I was just going to say, but they're they're doing it. They're saying, well, we're just trying to make nuclear power because it's a clean form of energy. Yeah. And we need that for our country. Yeah, we all need clean energy. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, let's stay with the Russia talk. You mentioned Russia may be trying to take over Belarus. How would that be possible? And are they actually trying to do this? Yeah, I like the last part of it, that last question, because this actually does come from a leaked internal strategy document from Vladimir Putin's executive office. So that doesn't mean it is the thing that's actually being planned. It could just be one of the many contingencies presented to Putin during the year. (laughs) I will say the fascinating thing that I found is reading pro-Russian telegram channels because they're starting to push a narrative that, listen, this isn't absurd. They say Belarus, the, the Belarusians, they're constantly polling highly in favor of this. They say Belarusians actually want Russia to take over. 
And are you seeing that what they say is true? Do Belarusians want to be absorbed by Russia? I mean, it's possible. I don't have a direct understanding of the polls in Belarus. I don't know if they're flawed or what they're actually saying. But I will say what I do know. Belarus is inching its way into the war in Ukraine. They've staged troops on the border. And President Lukashenko has been a very good ally for Putin, even better ally than Xi has been in China. So whether the Belarusian people want this, I don't know. But Lukashenko wants it. Um, He's going to be given a lot of power from Putin in order to make this happen if it is, in fact, in the works. Now, I will say that the Belarusian opposition leader, Betlana, I won't pronounce her last name because it's a very Russian last name. Spe- I don't want to butcher it. Okay, we'll spell it out loud. T-S-I-K-H-A-O-A-N-O-V-S-K-A-Y-A. <laughs> and they say that this consolidation of power, and I'll quote them on this, is not a union of equals. It is a roadmap for the absorption of Belarus by Russia. Since our goal is to return Belarus to the path of democracy, it will be impossible to do so in a union state with Russia. Well, that statement makes a lot of sense to me. It seems like Russia will add to their military strength, making it much more difficult for those Eastern European countries to defend themselves. One of those countries is Moldova, and there has been a lot of talk about Russia attempting a coup in that nation. Do you have any additional information on those plans? Yeah, so, you know, President Putin this week actually revoked. He also, you know, got out of the START Treaty. He wasn't done there. He revoked the 2012 decree that reinforced Moldova's sovereignty, stating his reason was to, quote, ensure the national interests of Russia in connection with the profound changes taking place in international relations. So Moldova is next, right? Yeah, I mean... You got. You can read the statement, right? It, it does seem that way. You know this, right, Tiana? You've you've had discussions with people. You've had discussions with me as well. And w- you and I have been talking about it for almost a year now on this podcast. True. It just really has been the most logical follow-on if you believe what Putin is saying, that his intent is to reestablish the Soviet Union. And right now it looks like Russia will do that by proxy. Yeah, it does appear that they're going to use Russian agents within Moldova to cause unrest within the country, helping the government completely collapse, and then they can install a more pro-Russian government. Do they want to join NATO to protect them from that? Well, NATO's a double-edged sword here. Yep, being a member of NATO offers some protections, but attempting to become a member could actually speed up Putin's timeline for the takeover of Moldova. Well, that makes sense. Since we were talking about NATO, what is the update on Finland and Sweden joining? Turkey has been outspoken about Sweden not being voted in. Has that changed? So they definitely publicly changed their tune. The U.S. has actually been putting pressure on Turkey to accept Sweden's membership bid. Also, every other NATO country has solidified their support for Sweden joining NATO. Um, So NATO is actually putting pressure on Turkey as well. I actually think that the tragic earthquakes that have hit Turkey over the last couple of weeks have also played a part in that. What do you mean? Well, it's, Turkey's receiving tons of support from the U.S., from NATO countries, and that's actually helping President Erdogan gain support from the people of Turkey. So this is kind of showing him what a unified NATO would look like. Oh, gotcha. I can see how that would be possible. 
since we're talking about support in a unified alliance, let's talk Russia and China. Is China really going to send weapons to Russia? Well, I want to start by saying that as of right now, there are no indications that China has sent lethal weapons to Russia. They've definitely sent various other supplies to help Russia's war effort. But now U.S. intelligence has gathered some information leading the United States to believe China is ready to send those lethal weapons. What is the difference between NATO sending lethal weapons to Ukraine and I, China sending yeah. them it's a good Russia. question. It's a, it's a good discussion <laughs> to have. So I'll say Russia and China see no difference. Yeah. If NATO can send weapons, then why can't countries aligned with Russia send weapons? Um, it. So listen, U.S. sends weapons to Ukraine. They say we're not involved in the war. We're just sending it. Why can't China do the same to Russia? Like I said, very interesting question. I would say that NATO members think of it this way. They're protecting a sovereign nation from aggressive acts by another country. But also understand that Russia and China are basing their support off the fact that it's actually NATO that's the aggressive entity. So to them, they can send weapons. They they could do whatever they want without it being a major concern. I get that. And it's true. I mean, Russia was the aggressor. I mean, that's just a fact. Yeah. They may say it was preemptive, but Ukraine didn't stage troops on the border beforehand. So... And they weren't even trying to join NATO at the time. And speaking of Russia's aggressive actions, they officially convinced Burkina Faso to remove all French troops from the West African country. What is the latest there? And what are your concerns being that you spent an extended period of time in that country? Well, I do first want to say I love Burkina Faso. I had a lot of good experiences there. I had one terrible experience trying to survive a coup. What do you mean trying? You're here right now. You survived. Mentally, I don't know if I did, but. (laughs) Well, we both had an an experience with that. I don't know. I mean, I would say it's terrible. It was a tear. That experience was terrible. Two weeks of not knowing if you're going to get out and you not knowing how to get in touch with me. And not being able to tell anyone. Yeah. That part sucked. And there was lots of ice cream eaten for dinner (laughs) during that time period. I did not care about cooking anything. Lots of beer was drank. The kids had ice cream. They had the time of their lives. Yeah, it was a stressful time, I I will say, especially for you with not not being able to contact me and and knowing what's going on. And I I would say, and I won't, I will say that I would still return Uh to Burkina Faso if my if my mission didn't take me elsewhere. And I think, I won't, I'll let you speak for yourself. I think if I was going back to Burkina Faso, you'd say, no worries, go out and yeah, and do what you need to do. Yeah. But right now, uh, around 400 French troops had been posted in Burkina Faso since 2010. This was part of Paris' efforts to stop hostage takings. And then a few years later, they started to combat the rise of terrorist groups in the what we call the Western Sahel region. Now... I will say, sadly, in January of this year, they were given a one-month notice to leave the country. And where exactly does Russia tie into this event? So the decline of France's standing in that country can be attributed to a number of factors. First, it's colonial history, obviously. (laughs) Local politics between France and that country. But I'm going to say, make no mistake, Russia's influence is also playing a role. 
Russia's role in the country is multifaceted. We've got the Wagner Group mercenaries who have honestly they've been seen publicly in the capital of Ouagadougou, and that's adding fuel to the fire. And also, Russia's waging a sophisticated and coordinated information warfare campaign. They're misrepresenting France as an oppressor. Uh, and France so far has struggled to actually in effect to actually effectively strike back at Russia. And what are your concerns about Russia getting involved in Africa? Right now, my concern is the extensive propaganda machine that's being implemented on the entire continent of Africa. Okay, how so? So pro-Russian outlets like RT, which used to be Russian Times, and Sputnik have upped their efforts in Africa because this all happened because they were banned in the U.S. and the European Union. And this has given them an audience on the continent, and it's actually been influential in gaining support for Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Maybe if a country like France would not have been so effective in Africa, its record on the African continent would be better. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. If France was able to improve those countries, the pro-Russian narratives would be far less effective. I mean, that's true. And also, you're not the only person saying that. There are actually French analysts that are saying the exact same thing. But the root cause of some of these countries' problems just cannot be fixed by Western nations or even Russian mercenaries gaining access and building relationships with the country's government. You'll need to explain that a bit more. What are the root causes? So I will say what I saw firsthand traveling. So I'm doing personal experience here working in these countries. Mm -hmm. We, as the United States, gave a lot of money. Gave tons of cash to these nations. That money went directly into the pockets of various political leaders and not to the people that needed it the most. Huh. We also provided advanced military support to defeat terrorist organizations within the countries to protect its people, while some in the government were actually colluding with those terrorist organizations. So Ugh. what I'm saying is the root cause is corruption across the board. Would you say the U.S. government is corrupt? Yeah, a hundred. I mean, not 100 percent. There are not some non-corrupt people in the U.S. Uh -huh. government, but some aspects of it are very corrupt. And look, look where we are right now. Yeah. You're seeing that. it. It's not as if we have the best economy we've ever had. But I will say even with corruption in most of the free nations around the world, there are checks and balances to that. So the main one in the U.S. is the right of the people to protest. Not every nation has that. And also some nations, the crackdown on protesters is downright inhumane. Have you thought about any ways to improve some of these developing nations dealing with corruption? Well, I'm really not a policy person, so uh -huh. I can give advice, but not everything that I would advise, I don't think it would work. It, it would yeah. work for me personally, but that doesn't mean yeah. it works across the board. And that's because it's just such a complicated issue because humans are so complicated. Right. I'm going to say that the... The age-old saying of absolute power corrupts absolutely holds true even today. And even in the United States, in the UK, Australia, New Zealand, all those places. Uh -huh. um, if society can figure a way to be led by competent, intelligent people without giving them this massive amount of power, I think that could go a long way in curbing some corruption. So that's probably my one piece of advice 
find a way to divvy up the power among multiple intelligent people, competent people, I would say. Yeah, yeah. But competent people with different opinions. Have them debate their views in public and then have the people decide what is best for themselves. Okay, that sounds like big government talk from a small government guy. I I am definitely a small government, get out of our house, I don't uh-huh. need you in our house kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, don't tell me I can't collect rainwater to water my plants. <laughs> exactly. Don't tell me I can't feed the homeless because I have to have all the food tested for caloric intake. Yeah. You know, that's that's crazy Stupid. to me. But yeah, it's crazy. I would say maybe the best new government is like a large government in size, but one that wields very little power on the country's population. Right. So start taking the power away from elected officials and have them held accountable by their constituents. That's what this that's what the United States was supposed to be founded on. Yeah. So instead of like putting people in power and then having them draw up all the laws and stuff they want to pass, they have to kind of debate it out in a public forum and then have the people vote on which yeah. thing they'd want to have passed. That would make Definitely. sense. Without all those loopholes and hidden language and you know all the all the secret spending that they yep. put lobbyist in there. putting money into yeah. it. i mean list a law within the government shouldn't be 550 pages yeah it should be this is what happens when lawyers get involved it should be three mm-hmm. sentences this is what you're you can and cannot do yeah um, simplified language easy to understand for the common person yeah and which, not just flowery language that's difficult to decipher yeah and and it puts all kinds of stipulations that guess what you know yeah. who can you know who can not abide by all those stipulations it's the people in power we yeah. saw that all through covid it was like don't get out of your house but, but i'm I gonna come to go, out of my house yeah i'm gonna go have a party i'm gonna go get my hair done i'm gonna yeah fraternize and, with my family yeah but and as people we go outside down, my bubble that rabbit hole of, mm-hmm. of what happened then i'm gonna re just reiterate yeah we're not policy people no we don't make laws our um, opinions just sometimes slip out sometimes yeah and what we're talking about now could actually make things worse i don't know we yeah. just have to see it in action well they're gonna tell like if anybody contacted us they'd say that would make it worse i'm saying if like a politician needs of course oh, they yeah. don't want things to change <laughs> yeah because my you know, my my advice is to get them out of power. <laughs> <laughs> we need new people. We need yes. people that aren't 80 years old. Definitely. And and younger people listening to this, get out there and and try to make a difference. You're, you're going to be the future and you're going to do the right thing. I really yeah. believe that. Me too. I feel good about that. Is there anything else you would like to discuss this week? Honestly, this might be, that might have been the best way to end the podcast that we've ever done. A call to action for young people <laughs> to get into politics. With us, we messed up. <laughs> yeah. We ruined everything and now we need your help. <laughs> Definitely. I will say oh, I did, yeah. <laughs> no. But yeah, we are out of time. Well, as always, if you like this show, please try to tell at least one person about us. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have a moment, head over to Apple or Spotify and give us a five-star review because those can help us get noticed by thousands of podcast listeners globally. And if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, follow us on Instagram at Oakland Analytics. 
And I will say we've gotten tons of five-star reviews, and I do thank you guys for that. Yeah, you guys have shown up in force. In fact, I'm almost ready to take that line out of our clothing. <laughs> yeah, you want to so bad. <laughs> you don't need to say that anymore. You guys have answered the call to arms, and we appreciate it. Great form. We love it. As I always say, Tiana, thank you so much. But until next week, stay safe out there.